For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Mediators World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. This is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. The Montana Grizzlies have been running up the score on bow hunters this September. I'm talking about actual bears, not the school mascot at the University of Montana. The Gravelly Range is located in the southwest portion of the state. It's historic grizzly country, but their numbers over that way were pretty low up until the past decade or so. This year, however, four bow hunters have been mauled in two separate incidents in less than a 10-day time period. More evidence that grizzlies are on the rebound across the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem, or GYE, of which the Gravelly Range is a part. The grizz population totaled only 150 animals throughout the GYE in the 1970s, but it's now estimated at over 700. Grizzly encounters have gone from barroom bluster to a regular occurrence for outdoor enthusiasts during fall and spring in some areas of Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. These bears are a part of life, and unless we screw things up again, they're not going away. Grizzlies are incredibly powerful animals that can cause serious damage to humans, livestock, and property in short order. The bears were pushed and killed from the vast majority of their historic ranges because of their inherent destructiveness. Because of the general scarcity of bears during the relatively new phenomenon we call conservation, we were slow to realize the long-term effects of killing off these animals, and even slower to decide if we actually wanted to have these amazing but fearsome predators around at all. That's right, a decision had to be made to save the grizzly, just like the bison or the passenger pigeon. Two out of three ain't bad, right? As history has proven, we like the big animals more than the smaller animals that flew in flocks containing billions of individuals capable of blanketing entire towns with feces and deafening the inhabitants of those towns with their calls. John James Audubon, the namesake of the Audubon Society, had a first-hand account of a passenger pigeon flock that stretched continuously for over 50 miles as he traveled and continued for three days. He estimated at times 300 million pigeons passed him each hour. 
we eradicated this species in only 40 years, down to the last bird, Martha, who lived out her days in the Cincinnati Zoo. Now, nobody specifically calls out the fact that pigeon poop led to the extirpation of the passenger pigeon, but I'm sure it didn't help their case. People haven't changed that much. But, back to grizzlies. I, for one, think that having these bears in the woods has enhanced my outdoor experience. Growing up in Montana, I spent a lot of time in the woods, and all that time has provided exactly three genuine close calls with exactly eight grizzlies and a handful of other run-ins that were just a bit too close for comfort. But neither I nor anyone else in my party have been scratched up or stomped on by one. I imagine my opinion of bears might be different if something like that had happened, but then again, maybe not. In both of these recent instances, the hunters involved chose to use sidearms instead of bear spray as a self-defense measure. As previously reported here on the Week in Review, bear spray is not magic, there is no guarantee it will deter a bear, but studies have shown bear spray to be far more effective than handguns. Additionally, bear spray is much less likely to leave a wounded grizzly in the woods than a firearm. I'm not valuing bear life over human life as much as I'm saying a wounded bear is more likely to cause trouble out of desperation than a bear that got a snout full of burning, stinging capsaicin. You know, that mouth-tingling stuff that gets to you with any pepper. Additionally, most people are not trained in either the rapid deployment of a sidearm or in the methods of what it takes to become accurate and proficient with one, especially while several hundred pounds of menacing, imposing mama bear is coming at you. Most folks would call that a stressful situation. Uh, As I am no firearm expert, I thought I'd reach out to one. Friend of mine, a Major Taylor, United States Marine Corps, retired. Just to touch on his bona fides, he was uh, eight years as a Marine Special Operator, aka a Marine Raider. In brief summary, he relayed to me that during uh, Special Operators basic training, they will spend one and a half months out of nine months just training on rifle and pistol. Two weeks rifle, two weeks pistol, two weeks combined. To qualify and move on in the program, they must engage human targets at 25 yards transitioning from rifle to pistol. That's draw, put two pistol rounds in a six-inch circle in two and a half seconds. Keep in mind that this is training you get before you get assigned to a team. Once you get assigned to a team, the training gets more frequent and more in-depth. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, what does that got to do with me? These folks that go through that type of training are the pros, but isn't that how we like to think of ourselves in the woods? The transition between pistol and rifle is relatable to dropping your bow and drawing a pistol or bear spray. You may not think it would matter on a large bear to hit the target equivalent of a six-inch spot, but as most hunters have experienced, accuracy is what stops things. These guys and gals are training to put two minuscule projectiles about the size of the last bone on your pinky finger or distal phalange on a target at about 70 feet. Most bear spray is propelling the deterrent in a cone-shaped cloud that expands at distance, remaining effective out to 30 or 35 feet. Looking only at the UDAP brand bear spray, which this is not an endorsement of that type of bear spray, it's just that they had the site that had the chart, UDAP states that at 5 feet, the diameter of the bear spray will be 29 inches by 21 inches. At 30 feet, it will be 91 inches by 119 inches. That's roughly the size of a boo-boo-sized bear at 5 feet and a foot taller than your average refrigerator and almost three times as wide at 30 feet. That's uh, bigger than your average bear. Based off of the size of the, quote, projectile alone, what are you more likely to hit a target with? You can carry both for all I care, but I go with the math first, and the math says bear spray. 
One last thing on this. I called Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks and spoke with a very nice person named Lori, who told me that in extreme cases, when a bear has already attacked a person, the person has been able to spray bear spray when they would not be able to discharge a firearm. The spray would also cover themselves, but it had been effective at deterring the attack. Lori also added, I would rather get bear sprayed than bear clawed. And Lori isn't talking about the pastry. As you know, this podcast is powered by Steel, the world leader in chainsaw sales. And for something you do not know that is extra fun, if you want to check them out, you can go to steelcal.com. That's S-T-I-H-L-C-A-L. You'll get to check out some awesome stuff and not even power equipment type stuff. They make a great pole saw that I've been using to cut through everything from tree branches to bent up ATV parts in a buttery smooth and professional type way. This week, we've got porpoises, birds, and evil HOAs, plus a bunch of other fun stuff. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. If you've been following along, you know that I've been to the beautiful state of New Mexico, and now I'm back. I will not take you through all the details of those travels. I'll just tell you to go and read them. Go check out the article, Love and Loss, Cal's New Mexico Elk Hunt at TheMediator.com. I tried my best to hold nothing back and give the real details of what can happen during a hunt, the loss of an animal that's been hit. In addition to that narrative, you'll be able to find all the rest of the information that you'll need for the duck blind elk woods and your next long road trip. Since I brought it up already, I thought I'd tell you real succinctly about the first time I got charged by a grizzly bear, just so nobody in the gravelly range thinks I'm picking on them without a leg to stand on. So way back when, after a few months of non-stop grinding, I had a day off, and being as it was spring and there had been a fire up on Marias Pass, I headed that direction with my two yellow labs to uh, see about some mushroom picking. It was far too early for mushrooms, but that and the possibility of finding a moose shed was the excuse I had to head into the woods. I had the normal stuff one goes into the woods with, water, backpack, the ability to make fire, some food, and I had a Springfield Arms Model 1911-45 caliber pistol on my hip. Uh, The girls and I, the girls being my two yellow labs, they were sisters and almost never apart, headed up a random ridge off of Skyland Road on Marias Pass. The ground went from half-frozen grass and mud to mostly solid snow, which would occasionally break and send a leg to post hole down about 18 inches or so. My path took the girls and I into a small patch of green timber about the size of a school bus. These dogs of mine were phenomenal bird dogs, and I was always training them. Consequently, I had them staying steady at heel, fish, the bigger of the two, always on my left side, scout, the troublemaker, always on the right. I think it was ultimately very lucky that this was the case and I had spent the time training these dogs as we stepped into this small oblong thicket of timber. As soon as we did, I caught movement, a fast flash of golden hair. Part of my brain said, bull elk. The other part said, you know damn well that's not a bull elk. What I saw flashing through the trees was a small, I guessed, first time mama grizz. Beyond her, I could see and hear two cubs of the year absolutely hauling their fuzzy rear ends as fast as they could go in the opposite direction, which was good. Maybe mom would follow. What was bad, I guessed, was that the cubs were screaming their heads off as if, like in that old Charlie Daniels song, Uneasy Rider, their heads were on fire and their asses was catching. Mom would ultimately charge the girls and I three times. Each time she would come a little bit closer. I don't know exactly how close she got, but I distinctly remember thinking that if I had my flyer rod in hand, I could have reached out and poked her in the eye when she hit the brakes in front of us on the last charge. 
I also very distinctly remember thinking, wow, this is it. This is really going to happen. However, I had these two amazing, beautiful yellow labs that, as demonstrated by their ability to hold heel, even in the face of a charging, confused Mama Grizz, obviously these dogs had placed all of their faith in me, so in spite of the fact that I had one of the most successful tried-and-true performing pistols on my hip, all I could think to do was to turn to the girls, fish on my left, scout on my right, and say, along with the usual hand signal, whoa. Then turn to the young Mama Grizz and say, whoa. I don't know why, but eventually on her third charge, she just looked directly at the big dog, fish on the left, myself in the middle, and then scout on the right, then turned and sprinted off in the direction her kids had gone. Had I just been by myself, who knows how I would have reacted. I sure don't. A recently produced analysis of bear attacks combined by Smith and Herrero of BYU and the University of Calgary, I'll let you guess which one of these guys is from BYU, That's a bad joke, because everybody knows Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, and uh, the guy from BYU, his name's Smith, uh, moving on. These guys looked at documented bear attacks from 1880 to 2015. It's really great work and fascinating. Not all the way through their findings, but as they pertain to the story, I just told, individual bears make up the majority of attacks, so the family group I encountered would be in the minority of attacks at 32%. And, as it turns out, when domestic dogs intervene, they manage to terminate the attack 47.5% of the time. Although, they also found that domestic dogs instigated the attack 12.5% of the time. I'm not sure if this makes a case for dogs in the woods or not. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Me neither. Like the importance of a will or a college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me because I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever, especially when I'm dead and I can't chip in to, you know, lift heavy things and do stuff like that. That's why I have life insurance. And I know you don't want to be a pain in the ass because you're listening to my podcast. So get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions for all you elk hunters out there chasing turkeys is basically the same thing i know the reaction you just gave me but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on x the hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground but i use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, 
Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. If you're sick of my personal stories, that's too bad. This next one is really short and it'll lead into one of my favorite topics, public access. On my way back from New Mexico, I got a text from a neighbor telling me that I hoped I didn't need my truck when I got back from wherever I was. Along with the text was a picture of my truck parked in front of my place as I'd left it, but now it was behind traffic cones and caution tape. It seemed that the parking lot had gotten repaved while I was away, and they just went ahead and repaved around my truck, which was fine, but it left the truck inaccessible until the asphalt cured up. When I eventually got home, the truck was still in quarantine, and there was a note on my door informing me that this repave was going to happen and I should move my truck, which, if I would have been home, would have been no big deal. But what got my hackles up is we all pay into a homeowners association, or HOA. The idea being is that you collectively throw cash into a fund and folks get paid to take care of things like, you know, repaving the parking lot, I guess. So what irked me was that I get emails all the time telling me to pay my bill, but I never get any useful prior notice that my truck needed to be moved or else it would be paved in. Totally mundane, boring, who really cares stuff, but the telling you of my menial situation allows me to tell you about some truly nefarious stuff a few other HOAs are involved in. Things that if you are a person who loves general freedom and access to public ground and water, need to know about. Such as, right now, in Anchorage, Alaska, the story of Campbell Lake is unfolding. Campbell Lake is a lake which, according to Alaska state law, is public if you can access it. The state of Alaska, in order to make Alaska more appealing to potential new residents and taxpayers, has fantastic access laws that state free access to the navigable or public waters of the state, as defined by the legislature, shall not be denied any citizen of the United States or resident of the state, except that the legislature may, by general law, regulate and limit such access for other beneficial uses or public public purposes. The legal definition of navigable waterways in Alaska, as adopted by the legislature, navigable water means any water of the state forming a river, stream, lake, pond, slough, creek, bay, sound, estuary, inlet, strait, passage, canal, sea, or ocean, or any other body of water or waterway within the territorial limits of the state or subject to its jurisdiction that is navigable, in fact, in any season, whether in a frozen or liquid state, and for any useful public purpose, including water suitable for commercial navigation, floating of logs, landing and takeoff of aircraft, and public boating, trapping, hunting, waterfowl, and aquatic animals, fishing, or other public recreational purposes. And, furthermore, that the section lines, the giant Jeffersonian grid system that so much of the West is framed by are also public easements. A section line easement is a public right-of-way, 33 to 100 feet wide, that runs along a section line of the rectangular survey system. Section line easements in Alaska fall under revised statute 2477, commonly referred to as RS 2477. 
According to the Department of Natural Resources, all 33 and 66 foot wide section line easements were acquired by the state under RS-2477, regardless of whether trails have been developed along them. Also, 50 and 100 foot wide easements along section lines have narrow RS-2477 rights of way inside them. An RS-2477 right of way is a type of public easement that the state of Alaska required under long-standing federal law. Which, if you like to hunt and fish, this is one heck of a pro-access, pro-getting-after-it law. The rest of this story you can find at the Alaska Landmine, home of Explosive Alaska News. It's a really fantastic piece of journalism, and I'll let the authors speak for themselves, so go check it out. If this access issue is just too darn far removed from the lower 48, as I've found most Alaskans like to think of themselves anyway, take a look a little bit closer to home, my former home to be exact, the Wood River Valley of South Central Idaho. Right now, another HOA is fighting an easement that allows public access to the Big Wood River. The Big Wood is a famous river for a number of reasons, but mainly because it cuts its way through the original jet-set ski destination for the rich and famous Sun Valley. And Hemingway himself fished, hunted, and eventually killed himself just a stone's throw from its banks. The Aspen Lake Subdivision HOA is fighting a public easement that provides access to the Big Wood River. In the state of Idaho, navigable streams are public domain below the high water mark, which makes these types of easements doubly important for freedom-loving folks that love to go check out the outdoors and need access to them. This is not some horrible infringement of private property rights as the entire subdivision would not have existed, as in it never would have been allowed without the easement in question. While Aspen Lakes Drive and the land around it are private, the public, quote, shall have access to the roads and river, according to a plat note written when the subdivision was established in 1979. As part of the agreement, the county maintains a 15-foot easement parallel to the east bank of the Big Wood with two public paths to get there, and it has access to an 80-foot right-of-way along the street itself. Despite this, Aspen Lakes HOA is towing vehicles and doing its best to fight public access. Just like the case of access to Campbell Lake and Anchorage, and having nothing to do with my own HOA issues, the reason I bring this up is, easements are incredibly important to public access, to public lands, and as we can see, they're volatile things that can be fought in court even when in the wrong, like in the Wood River Valley. This land belongs to all of us, yet time and time again, the very few have proven that they are willing to fight these easements in order to make their short times here on Earth somehow better. Conservation is making things better for the next generation, something we all need to keep in mind, something Hemingway did when he was in that valley, and something the state of Alaska tried to ensure before it was even a state. So once again, if you like to do anything in the out-of-doors, write an op-ed, call a state senator, and let them know you demand that these easements, or a reasonable replacement that provides the same or better amount of access, are established or maintained. Any access issue, be it in your backyard or five states over, affects all of us. We need to behave that way. Moving on, we've got a lot to cover. Let's jump over to our ornithology desk. Do you feel like you're hearing fewer birds in the woods than you did when you were a kid? Well, according to a new study published in the journal Science, you probably are. Since 1970, the total number of breeding-age birds in North America has dropped by nearly 3 billion. That's billion with a B. 
The researchers who worked on this study looked at numerous bird surveys. Then they cross-referenced those survey results with radar data from weather stations, which pick up flocks of birds while scanning for storms. Their results estimate that North America has lost 30% of its birds. Grassland birds, forest birds, shorebirds, sparrows, warblers, blackbirds, and finches are disappearing in the largest numbers, averaging a 40% loss. But it's not all bad news. Raptor numbers are up since we quit spraying DDT back in the 60s. One takeaway I find particularly interesting is that certain game birds increased. Turkey and grouse numbers are up 25% overall, and waterfowl increased 56% over the past 50 years, a testament to the power of engaged and motivated conservation on the part of hunters. The challenge now is getting people to care about songbirds, shorebirds, and common birds with the same passion that waterfowlers have for ducks and geese. I'm not going to be the one who suggests an open season on warblers and blackbirds, but maybe someone should. After all, in modern times, if you can hunt it, it typically doesn't go away. It increases in population. We're going to wrap up this episode at the Stuff That Swims desk. Everyone is ecstatic about the return of porpoises to the Potomac River, a clear indication that the once near-toxic watershed is cleaning up. The fact that all the other news outlets keep mentioning is the porpoises are making new porpoises in the Potomac, a watershed healthy enough to breed in. But still, do you want to drink it? That's a reference to an old joke that fishermen used to make on why they don't drink water. Fish have sex in there. We'll finish back in Idaho, where for the second time in Idaho fisheries history, the steelhead season has been shut down. The first time the closing of the fishery happened was just last year. The Upper Salmon River region in Idaho represents one of the best long-term cold water storage strongholds in the U.S. High elevation peaks trap and store snow and ice that eventually runs downstream, ideally with a bunch of salmon and steelhead smolt, to the Snake River. The snake runs into the Columbia and eventually out to the ocean, cooling the waters as it goes. Cool, clean water is good for fish. I'm sure that is not a shock for you. What is not good for fish are the lower Snake River dams, which have the effect of storing that cold water and warming it, as well as allowing a host of predators that range from sea lions and seals to pike minnows and smallmouth bass to heavily predate upon the native steelhead and salmon. The four lower Snake River dams, which are administered by the Bonneville Power Association, are in need of serious repair. They do not supply the power they once did, nor the irrigation, and they are taking part of the killing off of what was once one of the greatest salmon and steelhead runs in the world. So, instead of calling Idaho fishing game and asking about fishing, call Congressman Crapo, Rish, and Representative Fulcher's office and ask them. If you think hatcheries will be able to save this situation, this is also the first time that the hatchery at Dwarshack will not have enough returns to meet their broodstock requirements ever. Living on a river with no fish just doesn't sound like any fun to me, and there are plenty of folks out there who make their living off of these incredible fish that tumble downstream from snow-choked waters in the upper salmon and come back as big, tasty fish in numbers that used to be in the millions. Let's not forget the passenger pigeon. That's all I've got for you this week. As per usual, if you have anything to add to the conversation, like what I'm getting wrong or what you want more of, you can always reach out to me at AskCal, that's A-S-K-C-A-L, at TheMeatEater.com. If you want more of this podcast, be sure to tell a friend or two and leave me a review by hitting that furthest right-hand start.
hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.